Good morning. If you got your Bible, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we'll start at verse 15. Genesis 2, 15. And let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, truly let us hear you, God, and hear your heart and allow it to impact us, God. Speak and speak plainly, God. Give us understanding minds. Open up the eyes of our understanding, God, that we may see and know and live out the things that you revealed in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses, starting at verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib was the Lord God had taken from man, made he woman, and brought her unto Adam. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they both were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We're continuing where we've been. Last week we talked about the reprobate mind, talking about the effects of sin on man. And we reached the conclusion that the reprobate mind talked about in Romans chapter 1 was a condition of all men who live as natural men as a result of sin through Adam and Eve, that it put all of us with our minds are rejected and debased, and we pursue and live after lust and pleasures that are unpleasing and unpleasant to God. And that's part of the judgment of God, this reprobation. But we're going to continue this theme of reprobation because as we think about that, and we going through, went through Genesis chapter, I mean Romans chapter 1, and we're looking at all the different effects of the sin and the way it corrupted and polluted man. Most time when we read those things, even all the lists that Paul gives, he gives a whole bunch of lists of sin and things that allow men to be rejected about God and not enter into the kingdom of God and the works of the flesh. The common thing that takes place in our mind is when we think about our salvation as a whole is individual. So when we read those sins and we read all the disgusting and debased things that Paul talked about, we begin to automatically to reflect on our own heart and how we reflect those things into the world. And we think about how God is rejecting me, whether or not God would accept me. And everything comes to the standpoint of this personal reflection and where we stand with God. And that's legitimate. But I want our minds to expand a little more for us to truly appreciate the salvation that God has given us. We have to understand a part of our identity as being made in the image of God was we talked about all the grandeur and the beauty that God placed within us and the destiny and the hope that he's given us. But a part of that is the fact that we were made to be a society, 
we were made to coexist with one another. We read in Genesis 2 about the creation of the woman and God bringing the woman unto man. But the reason God did so he gave was that it was not good that man should be alone. So the idea, especially if you read it in the whole scope of the whole book of Genesis, you got Genesis chapter 1 where God created. And after everything he created, he declared it to be good. God made light. Separated the light from the darkness. Darkness he called night. The light he called day, and that was good. So on and so forth. He go all the way throughout the book, declaring everything to be good. But then you get this pause when you get to the sixth day. And we pick up on the sixth day in Genesis chapter 2. And this is the first time God has declared something not to be good. So the thing, everything God made was good. But when he had Adam sitting solitary in the midst of the garden, that was not good. Because it was a part of the creation of man. And it's a part of the destiny of man to coexist with other human beings. We were not made to be alone. We were not created an island unto ourselves. So the thing that God declared to be not good, the thing that God declared to be contrary to his great plan that he's made was a solitary man. So it's a part of being human to live and exist with other beings. A part of the plan and the destiny that God gave Adam in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 was to replenish the earth, to fill it and subdue all mankind. But in order for him to replenish, that means multiplication. So Adam had to be one that multiplies and create a society, a nation here on this planet. That's part of the destiny of us human beings to live in a nation, to live in a society. Are you understanding what we're saying? This is part of who we are. We do not exist by ourselves. And, and the amazing thing is, is in our super social society, we have become more lonely. We got more contact with more human beings, supposedly, than any other time on the planet of this history. But we have more people dealing with depression, anxiety, and all these things that they live and dwell in their rooms by themselves, in their house by themselves, disconnected from the world, but we got not 900 friends. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's because we were not made to exist in like this, with your head down, disconnected from the rest of the world. We were created for relationship. We were created to connect with each other. We were created to build and to go together. That's part of our destiny as human beings. But when we flip through these pages, and when we flip through society, we don't see a world where we like to be with people. Uh, are you being honest? Like the world we see and the people we connect with, it ain't too fun. And it's better to be by yourself. Because like we said, phone messy. <laughs> and we see this here after the fall of Adam in Genesis. Once they're kicked out of the garden in Genesis chapter 3, the next chapter, once you flip over the page, it's Genesis chapter 4. What happened? Cain kills Abel. So this thing and this great plan that God made so that Adam wouldn't be alone in this multiplication of a society where Adam was supposed to take this one piece of a garden. I keep telling y'all this. Eden won this grand big old place that God made. It was a city, but it had one little piece of a garden in the east side of it. That's all God gave him. And Adam was supposed to take that one little piece and make the whole world look like that and spread that all the way throughout. 
which means Adam was supposed to learn about the garden. He was supposed to understand the plants and the animals and all that stuff and how to figure out and multiply that stuff. But that means he's also supposed to create children to teach them and train them so that as he go forth, they can go forth and do the same thing. And the whole world is supposed to be like that one little piece of the garden eastward in Eden. That's God's grand plan. Beautiful. But what we see is Adam finally started to get children and one of the brothers killed the other one. And you flip on over a couple pages, we run to this dude, Lamech. And he snatched him up two women. He couldn't be like Adam and have him one. He had to get him two. And somebody get the bottom of one of his women, and he killed somebody. So death and chaos is continuing until you make it all the way up to Genesis chapter 6. And to the point where God said, oh, man, I'm... this was one of the worst things I ever did was put man on his face with his man. <laughs> I'm like, golly. That would have said the repented God that he made man. That word repented now he changed. It means he grieved him to his heart. God felt sorry that he made men. Because evil was spread across all the planet of the earth. So you went from God with this great plan of men dwelling together, living in harmony, multiplying his garden, just creating an Eden all over the world to death and chaos, multiplying and multiplying to the point where God said, man, I'm done with this. And he flooded the whole planet. Except for eight people. Because men couldn't get along. And we continue to see this same trend here throughout our day. Men just can't get along. I was reading. Can't remember what day it was. But just looking at statistics. And I'm not a big statistics guy. Some people get down on that stuff. But this thing was amazing to me. Because you know we live in a, in a very divisive age right now. The world, uh, America is all messed up and everybody think they know what the solution is. But all we're doing is getting worse. People hate one another just because we hate one another. And, and we got groups and troops of people marching through the streets. But like a couple of years ago, it was, it, the group arose. Everybody heard about the Black Lives Matter people. And they started doing their little things and, and supposed to be able to, to fight for the plight of the black man and make the world better. And the amazing thing was you got Kaepernick kneeling and all the stuff going on. People talking about police brutality and all the type of atrocities that happen in our planet. And so the other people who hate these people begin to fuss back. And they said, well, y'all worried about white folk killing black folks. But what about all the black people killing black people? And you get this whole big old argument going on. And I sit and I laugh because I'm like, both of y'all right and both of y'all wrong at the same time. Because the problem ain't white folk killing black folks, it's folks killing folks. If we stop killing, we won't have none of these problems. And so I look, just look at it, just perusing. Everybody throwing out all these statistics. So I just look at a couple of different numbers and an amazing thing pop out. It's some confirmed something I think me and my wife was talking and I said it just off the cuff. But this this deep now, so I'm gonna blow your mind. I'm talking about amazing. Do you know? I think it was like 2015. The numbers I was looking at. When it comes to what we call black people killing black people, 80 some percent. I think it was 89. The number I looked at, a quote unquote black deaths came from the hand of another black person. Like deep, 89 percent. That's that's pretty heavy. But then these so-called people we call white people, like 83% of white deaths 
came at the hand of white men. He's like, what does that mean? That means people kill the people that they be with. <laughs> I'm talking about that deep. I'm talking about super deep. So you won't know who might end up killing you if you're going to be murdered. It's going to be some people you hang around. I remember when my wife first moved down here. And she started being around my family. She don't like when I tell these types of little stories. But it'll be all right. <laughs> started living around here. And, and she got a little taste of, of hood life. A little bit different from what she grew up with. Got a little taste of it. And it was so wrestling because it's like, where I grow up from, like, all this type of stuff don't be happening. I'm about just people shooting and all that. I'm talking about, we don't have this. They're new to her. And to us, it's just like common life. And I made this statement. The reason we have a lot more of it than y'all have is because when you ride down the street in the little neighborhood she's from, Pinnacle Way, Pinnacle Place, whatever it is, you might see two people. Don't nobody be outside. You might see two people riding down that street. You might see two. You might see a man taking out his trash to the curb and another one getting in their car. <laughs> That's about all you're going to see. But when she take that stride down Gibbs Drive, especially back in the day a little bit, it's a little different now because everybody getting stuck in these things. You're going to see pockets of people. Four or five people sitting on their porch. Little kids just running down the street. You got in the backyard folks doing stuff. You got another corner to jokes out there playing dice. So you got all these pockets of people everywhere. And then my understanding is like, we got more of this because we spend more time together. Like in the hood, a lot of people be together. So you know what that means? A lot of stuff going to happen because people can't get along with people. And when you get enough people together for a long enough time, something bad going to happen. So why do you got more shooters in Pinnacle, I mean, Gill Village than Pinnacle Play? Because you got more people being together, doing stuff together. So people end up not liking each other. Anger kick in. Pride kick in. And all this other stuff kick in. And somebody going to fight. Somebody going to shoot. Somebody going to do something they ain't supposed to be doing. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? But this makes everything look a little messed up. If we was created to be together, and we cannot be together, how in the world are we going to be what we were created to be? That's like messed up. Because we were made to live together. And the amazing thing, let's just dig this hole a little deep. If we continue in this journey on through Genesis, you run through the boring part that most of y'all skip over. And that's some gene- I mean, them genealogies. After you make it through the story of Noah and him reap God saving his family through the flood. Then you get to chapter 9, 10, and 11. Really chapter 10 and 11. And y'all skip them because they run a whole long list of names that you cannot pronounce. <laughs> don't seem to make no sense about nothing. Then you halfway read chapter 11 because they tell you about that little story they told you about a little bit in Sunday school at the Tower of Babel. And you, you skim through that because they start off with that little story. And that story don't last before a couple of verses. And you thought it was deep because you hear people talk about it all the time and you realize it's just a couple of verses and then they start talking about names again. 
So you just skip all that, and then you meet Abraham. And then like, okay, now I can read my Bible. <laughs> but something amazing happened at Babel, which is key to understanding history and understanding redemption and our salvation as well. At the Tower of Babel, let, let's look at it. Actually, start in Genesis chapter 10, verse 32. It says, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men build. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing be, will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now this is a heavy little piece of scripture here. And we're going to zone in on it just a little bit to pull out a couple of things to help us to understand what the fall did to us and what regeneration will do for us. It says in 32, it said, by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So you got this picture. This is just after knowing them get off the, off the boat and they go through this long genealogy of their sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth and all their descendants. But it, it gives this pointed statement and it makes it actually a couple of times throughout these chapters, which I think is key. It said, by these were all the nations on the earth populated. They, everybody came from these. Now let's get this in our mind for a second. We have this dominating theme in our world and it gives us our identity. And actually is a distortion of the image of God that we were made in. It's something that really truly robs us of our true identity. And it's called race. That we all got this thing that we know of called race. It's unquestioned. It's just who we are. Everybody got their own race. And if you read in some of the scientific literature or sociological literature, they get confused. Some say it's five basic races of mankind. Some give you six or seven. And the reason they have a hard time figuring it out is because it ain't, they just making this stuff up. But we all get this idea that we have a race. And that this race that I'm born with, and this is a part of who I am. Now, if we just think about this thing, just for one, one quick second. Noah had three children. And his three children, according to Genesis chapter 10, populated all of the earth. Are y'all tracking with me? Noah had three children. His three children populated all of the earth. So everybody that is comes from one of these three children. And these three children come from one man. Which creates a question. Where do all the races come from? 
And I'd have seen pictures. This thing get deep. Like I'm saying, you get the deep church folk who try to train you and educate you. And they try to explain to you where all the races come from. And you see a picture of Ham. And he's sort of dark skinned. Got a fat nose somewhat like mine. Have a little bit curly, but not always that curly as mine is. Then you see Japheth. And he did light-skinned dude with a real slender nose. Then you see Shem, and he middle brown. Sometimes they got their eyes a little bit slanted. Sometimes they don't. Depends on how deep they want to get with this thing. And they try to explain to you where all the races come from. Now, the deep part about it that makes me laugh every time I see this is because these three dudes was the son of one man and one woman. <laughs> These three dudes, the son of one man and one woman. And I read this Genesis quite a few times. These first 11 chapters are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And one thing that is always missing in these first 11 chapters is physical description. So where in the world do we get these pictures from? Like, how we get this stuff? And even if the pictures were accurate, how do they explain the existence of all these various races when all of them come from one pair? One husband, one wife made three children which populated all the earth. So where did the races come from? How do we get all these various races that end up allowing us to live in this place where we hate one another just because we look slightly different from each other? I was reading this article earlier. It's an amazing little thing. A little known piece of American history. I said, we know all the atrocities of slavery and, and, and that stuff was evil. And it was one of the greatest expressions of the evil heart of a man here on this planet. But in the midst of that time, somewhere towards the end of that time, there was this dude named Oda Binga. Some of you get deep in your history, you might have heard of him. He was a guy that was taken captive and brought to America, but not as a slave, but as a scientific specimen. They captured this dude because he was short, what they would call a pygmy, and they said, this is one of the missing links. And they brought him to this country as a scientific specimen, they was taking skin grafts of this dude, examining this man, and it got so deep to the way put him in the Bronx Zoo next to an orangutan and put a sign over this guy that he was a missing link. The ape man, the closest thing to our evolutionary ancestor. That's a lie. We found him. And he was put on display where people came and paid money just to sit here and stare at this guy, to throw stuff at him, to try to get him to climb walls and do tricks. Just because he was short and dark-skinned. And they mistreated this guy to so much for so many years to once he finally got his freedom. He longed so badly to go home, but he could not. And I think at one point he did, they did take him home, but 
his family had he'd been so long gone and so mistreated and all his people and his whole life was messed up that he lived his life here in America and could not overcome what was done to him to where he finally just took his life. All because some people looked at a man that looked different from them and began to categorize this dude and mistreat him so greatly. And he wasn't the only one. If you read about the history of evolution and, and in the experimentation that went on the, 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 the Australian Aborigines, they found this native people in Australia who looked different from the most of the people on the planet. We would see them and say they're black people. But most of them got blonde hair. And then we look confused. Like, how in the world are you a black man with blonde hair? They ain't got no color. They were born this way. And they live off in the outback in the jump in the jungles and people found and discovered these people once the european made their way to australia and there you got scientific journals explaining to people how to capture these people and skin them so that they can examine their skull all in the name of science all in the name of advancement they was capturing and torturing these people for scientific experiments I'm talking about they got explanations on how you're supposed to take the skin off and preserve the skull. Decapitating. Completely destroying a whole nation of people just because they looked a little bit different than any other thing they ever seen before. And they take these experimentations and they take these atrocities that they call science. And they create theories and educate our children. And we all get this concept of race that disconnects us, that segregates us, that allow us to view others as different from ourselves, but still we hold the Bible to be true. And the amazing thing is, if we reason consistently from the scriptures, we see this amazing thing that all of humanity was populated from one family. Three sons from one family. Now watch this. Keep going in, in, in Genesis chapter 11. It said, and the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shana, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to let us build a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So now what you have is these people, the descendants of this one family. It says that there was a one speech, one language, and they came together. Now watch the amazing thing that we're going to get back to. Now your Sunday school lesson, if you paid, if you went to Sunday school, they taught you that there was this dude named Nimrod. And he was this mighty man in this time. And he led his people to, in a rebellion against God. And all of them was coming together under the leadership of Nimrod. That ain't what the Bible says. What you see here is a group of people operating with one language, one mind for one task. No leader is pinpointed. It's just a group. And if you go and read through the whole thing again, all you see is they said, they said, let us and we. No one man is pointed out. So what you have here is 
a whole entire nation of people operating as one to the point where the story ends with God saying that the people are one and long as they living and operating like this, nothing that they come to desire shall be required. I mean, shall be hindered. So everything that they want to do, they're going to be able to do because the people are one. So there's a unity that's taking place with, apart from a leader. Nimrod don't show up around here. And there's no he said. It's all we said. They said. Let us. So you got this unity of people working for one task in rebellion against God. And God said, as long as they like this, ain't nobody going to be able to stop them. So the only way God was able to stop what they were doing was to separate them. So separation came as a judgment from God. In the, in the deep thing, it says they were all separated because their languages was confused. And if languages was confused according to families, languages confused and they begin to separate according to families. And this is the origin origins of the races. This is how we get this point of races. Of what we call races, because races ain't real. But this is how we get these things of these dominant characteristics being expressed in certain people groups, as we refer to them. Because a split happened, and the split was according to families. So all the families went to go off, and they only associated with people who talked their own language. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? In the in the way that it operates, well, let's just give you a picture, a simplified picture of it, not go too deep, ain't because that ain't what I, this ain't really what I want to get to, but it, it just always happens. But let's give you a picture. Like I said, we all went to, to school, most of us graduated. Some of us had a hard time getting up out of there. But I remember in school, they, we had this little one simplified course about genetics. Things like middle school, you end up taking that stuff. And they teach you about the little A, big A, little A, big B, little B. And you have to draw your little table and mix them all up together and all that stuff. The dominant trait and the recessive trait and try to explain to you how stuff happened. We all, we, we all remember that. Now, just, just get this picture. You got nations of people. Everybody come from who? Three folks. One family. One man. But they begin to separate according to families. Now, let's just get the picture off just right here. Like in my family, there is a dominant trait. We're going to take one easy one. And the easy dominant trait that we all joke on each other about is our nose. I'm about, we've been calling each other fat nose, big nose. I had a brother we call Hump. I'm saying it's just been, been just been what it is for forever. That's a dominant trait in our family. And as long as this family stay isolated within this family, what you gonna see is fat nosed people. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because that's a dominant trait in our family. And you see, my children, they got. Fat nose. Some of them fatter than other ones. Because that's a dominant trait in our family. And what will happen is, since this trait is so dominant, the potential for skinny nose is lost. 
Because, you, you know, you did the table. You got your big A, little A, big B, big, little B. And if you get all big A people together, they can only make what? Big A's. And so that little A get lost as you separate out big A's. So as you begin to separate traits, other traits get lost. We do that with breeding with animals. I'm saying you get the dog that's tall, got a thin fur, and broad shoulders. And you keep mating it with dogs that tall, got thin fur and broad shoulders. And you only going to get dogs that tall with broad shoulders and thin fur. You ain't going to get no dog with long fur. Until you start mixing it with dogs with long fur. And if you take the dog with thin fur and the dog with long fur and you start mixing it in, that litter be mixed up. You have some with thin fur, some with long fur because you start mixing the gene pool up again. But what happened at Babel was that the gene pool split and people began to separate. And another amazing thing happened as you read throughout the story, throughout the rest of the book. Whole nations of people were what? Slaughtered. You got folks just wiped off the face of the planet. People that we thought never existed in our secular world because there's no trace of them. They were completely wiped out. Like for a long time, people who did not believe the Bible, they tell you there's a lie. There was no such thing as a Hittite. Because Hittites ceased to exist. They were completely slaughtered and destroyed. Until one day they finally found a stone and said Hittite, then we stopped talking about the Hittites because I'm going to tell you all that. <laughs> but as a people, we don't see no Hittites. We have no idea what Hittites look like, what they sound like. Completely wiped out. So this gene pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and these dominant traits are being separated and separated and separated so we get these things that we refer to as races because people are separated throughout all the planet. But the biblical understanding is Acts 17, Paul speaking, he said, God made all nations from one blood. We all related. Everybody is a part of the same family. We all are children of Adam. So if you take your ancestral thing back far enough, you're going to find you got the same granddad. Like your uncles are the same people. Just keep going back. But the main thing, we can't go back that far. So we pay our dollars to let them tell us that these little regions of the world that they estimate that we come from. Not knowing the history of the world that the people that there, most of them came from somewhere else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There was no such thing as English people for a very long time. That's the mixing of a couple different peoples that created this whole new nation. But you take your ancestry thing, they're going to tell you that's where you came from. That's a whole other subject. About how they steal your money. <laughs> so we got this problem. People separated. Everything messed up. We were created to be and live together because we were created as one nation. I think God did it that way on purpose. God made everybody from the same stock on purpose that gives us no distinction between us as human beings and as people. Because anything that you think can make you great, you got it from the same person I got mine from. So your slim nose and my fat nose came from the same daddy. You understand what I'm saying? So your shortness and my tallness came from the same daddy. Your lightness and my brownness came from the same daddy. There is no distinction between us. 
These are just various characteristics of the multiplicity that God has put within our gene pool. God is an awesome creator. And he made everything to be together. But he didn't make everything the same. And he got this great spectrum of diversity that comes from one family, one blood. I was reading this scientific journal. And these people got deep. I'm talking about, man, these folk got so deep that they realize something. And they got this thing what they call the mitochondrial DNA. I'm saying I know we ain't in science class, but it's mitochondrial DNA. And what they do with the mitochondrial DNA is through that that they can trace your lineage through your mother. Because you get your mitochondrial DNA from your mother. And they reached this same amazing conclusion. They was like, it seemed like the farther back we keep tracing that it seemed like it's one mama for all these people. And I'm like, they were deep and they were throwing them. I'm talking about amazed. Like they reached this conclusion. And they called her mitochondrial Eve. It's like, it seems like all this mitochondria got the same basic line that goes throughout all the nations of people. And this was a great discovery that there's this such thing that they call mitochondrial Eve. But when a long time ago, a little dude on the back of the mountain named Moses told us that we all came from one people. But we allowed the world to create for us our narrative in ourselves when we disbelieve the Bible. God been telling us for a long time. He made of all nations from one blood. So we all one people. We all have one family. We all exist as one. So any differences that we see within ourselves is just an expression of all the potential that God put inside of humanity. Because one dude made it all. Are y'all understanding what we're saying? So we were created to live together. We were created to be one people. And it is through sin and a curse that we get this separation that gives us our distinct characteristics that follow through a family line because God said these people are doing evil so to stop them from doing their evil, I'm going to separate them. But then this amazing thing happened. God came down in the form of a man in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin and he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now if you read the law, that's this amazing thing that God put throughout the whole thing. Like you just go through the book of Leviticus and Exodus. These certain things that keep coming up. Like God tell the people, when you reap your harvest, don't reap the whole field. Leave the corners of it for the widows and the orphans and the strangers within your gates. So he was setting up laws that they had to take care of people. Then he was getting on them. It's like when a stranger come in, you don't mistreat them because you once was a stranger yourself. So he had all these laws and all these rules. You know what I'm saying? Leviticus is the one that tells us we're supposed to love our others like our, we love ourselves. That comes from the book of Leviticus. So God began to set up these laws and set up these rules to allow people to take care of one another, to allow people to coexist with one another. He gave rules and regulations to teach people how to live. But when Jesus came, he said the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And we take the law and we amplify it. So he made rules to make them take care of each other. And he came within us and put his law within our hearts. So the outworking of us being Christians should be what? We should gladly take care of each other. Are you understanding what, what I'm saying? 
It's because that's the outworking of God's working in us. So when Jesus came to bring a people unto himself, God's work is he is creating a new nation of people. And we're just going to take this journey to the end. Go to the book of Romans. And show you just, this is on God's mind. Matter of fact, start at John. John chapter 17. 17 verse. Let's start at verse 20. This is Jesus' prayer. Right before he go to the cross. And make a sacrifice for us. John chapter 17 verse 20. Said, neither I pray, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the Lord, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Uh, you, you see the prayer of Jesus. This is Jesus' prayer before he go to the cross. And he praying not for just his disciples, but for everybody who's going to believe on the word that they'll preach. So that would include us. And his prayer is that they may be one. So Jesus got this idea that because of the word being preached to these people, and because of the spirit of God coming to live inside of them, that it's going to create a people who are one. Just like God and the son are one, they need to be one. And this is the glory that I give them, that they may be one. And the whole world going to know that thou has sent me. This is, this is deep. This is Jesus praying. Everybody going to know that I came into the world. That I was the son of God sent down as the savior of the world because they going to be one. So God ties up his message of redemption, his evangelistic outreach to the unity of his people. So God's idea is that we're supposed to be one. Not just in theory. Not just in some metaphorical type of way that we can sing a couple of songs. But he say, just as me and you are one, I want them to be one. And he said, I want them to be made perfect in one. So the restoration, the salvation that we receive is not just that I get to go to heaven. It's that I have been engrafted into a family of people that I can connect with and that I should be one with. And it undoes the curse that happened at Babel that separated people. That gave us this state that we don't like each other just because we come from different regions of the world. That should not be any anybody who claims to be a child of God. Because when we see one another, no matter what they look like, what we see is an expression of the creativity of God. And what we see is our brothers and our sisters all connected as one. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? This is the prayer of Jesus, that they should be one. Go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse 5. Romans 15 verse 5. It said, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive you one another as Christ also receive us to the glory of God. This, this is deep. He said, the God of all patience and consolation grant you, this is what he's given you. 
that you be like-minded one towards another so that y'all look at each other with a like mind or with the same gnosis, with the same idea, this is how we relate to each other. With one mind that we may be one. So we connect with each other with one mind for the purpose of us being one. Now just think about this thing. How often, let's just take an honest assessment, have we been in the midst of so-called Christians and figured out that we are in the midst of division, we are in the midst of strife, that people be messy. Anybody else got that testimony? Like you, you just go, you be around church for you be like, God, leave. So my always arguing, everybody split up about something. Then they tell you that there ain't no such thing as a perfect church. And if it is a perfect church, it's gonna be unperfect soon as you learn it. Okay. That's exactly what they say. We always going to argue about something. We always going to have our disagreements. We always going to have everything that we can't get along with about all this stuff. But we just got to learn how to forgive one another. That's what they tell you. But Paul said, the God of all patience and consolation, he, he granted us this, that we be like-minded. That we got the same mind for the purpose of we with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you see this unity. That we with one mind, the same, we think in the same way. We with one mouth, we saying the same thing and we glorifying God. This is God's picture for the church. Not no black church, white church, because those things don't exist. Ain't no such thing as black people or white people. It's dark-skinned people and light-skinned people, but they're all Adam's people. And we all exist together. And we all have been taken out of this wicked world and placed in Christ's holy nation. And in him being in us, we're supposed to be one. And if we flash back to the Tower of Babel, a Babel, God said about them, they were with one accord in one language. So that what that they was trying to do could not be thwarted. And now he gives this picture of a church that they serve God with one mind and one mouth. Are you, you seeing the parallel? So he is recreating the original creation that he made when he made man. Because he made man with one language. And it created a man so that they can work together for one purpose. There was no leader. There was nobody saying this is what we better do. All the people were together. All the people were on one accord accomplishing the task. And God said, as long as they're working like that, can't nobody stop them. But then he flashed back into a New Testament, created new people, redeemed them on himself. And he's saying, I'm giving you back so that you can work like that. So we're supposed to be just like the people was at Babel. Working together with one language, with one mouth, accomplishing the task that God put us down here for. Go go again, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just look at a couple of them. Show you how. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. So now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now this is deep. Paul made it even, even deeper in this one. He, I beseech you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging with you 
that you all speak, that you all say, that you all declare the same thing. All y'all be saying the same thing. In that there be no divisions among you. I thought the church folks told you that we always going to be split. I thought they said that it always going to be, you know what I'm saying, a little something in church, disagreements and strife and all that stuff. That's just part of humanity. But that's a lie. We should be able to live in a world, especially as the people of God, where there is no divisions among you. No matter what it is, no matter what category it falls on. If you like a different style of music, that should not create any division among you. If you come from a different background, now we get deep now, woke folks say, if you got a different ethnicity, whatever that word means, (laughs) if you got a different ethnicity, that should not create any divisions among you. And what we have been is created this superficial idea of diversity. What I mean by that is, if I get just enough people who look differently from me, then I got a diverse church. That's a lie. Why I tell you that's a lie? I grew up with this guy. You stay right behind me. Good friend of mine. And we spent, just by every time his, his dad let him come outside, we were together. Both of us ran around barefooted. Both of us thought we could run through walls. We didn't look nothing like each other. I was tall. He was short. I'm dark. He light. But we were best of us. Look nothing, nothing like each other. And when we talk, voices different. Patterns of speech different. But what we talking about, the same. Now you look at us and say, wow, that's one diverse group of people. No, we're not. We're the same dude. We just look different. Like I said, both of us run around wild, shirts off, barefooted, playing football, playing basketball, playing baseball. Same thing. But just through the superficiality, you got diversity. No, you don't. We the same dudes. I ain't no diversity. I ain't learned nothing different being with this dude than I learned being with the other folks who look like me. Because we was talking the same talk. And he was more my homeboy than the folks who looked like me. Because we spent time together. Now there was differences in our homes. So there was slight cultural differences. I guess that was our ethnicity. (laughs) That was differences. But we were able to relate, to go together, to be together, to to connect, to do the same thing. So I like basketball more than he did. He loved football more than I did. But we played both of them. Because we were together. One mind. And what we have is we, we, we lump a couple of people who look a little bit different than us in the church and say we're a diverse ministry. No, you're not. Because diversity is not just in appearance. It's in the in con- the connection of all the various displays of the beauty and the grandeur that God has placed within us. When you got a whole bunch of folk who say the same thing about the same thing and 
we agree on the same thing, and we disagree on the same thing, we listen to the same style of music and so on, we ain't diverse with the same people. You just my light-skinned cousin. But the picture that God has in mind for us is this idea of university to where all the people all over the planet from everywhere live in harmony, lives in unity, and all the various expression that God has placed within us comes together for one resounding glory, hallelujah, and amen to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there should be no division among us that we should live and operate in unity. And Paul used a, 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 a cuss word in his thing. And man, we got your new Bible. Paul in here cuss. He said that they supposed to be perfectly joined together. Hold on. Like, you, you, what do you mean by perfectly joined together? Like, is that possible? Is, is that possible for people to be perfectly joined together? You got, here you had Jews and Gentiles, as they say. And he told them that they need to be perfect. See, Paul cussed. Because we don't use that word. Perfect. But he said they should be perfectly joined together. In the same mind. In same judgment. Perfectly joined together. Y'all think that's possible? Go ahead. You think that's possible? Live in harmony. Perfectly joined together. But you think we're going to be perfectly joined together? You don't think that's possible, do it? But that's what he said we're supposed to be. Perfectly joined. I'm talking about, ain't no move, ain't no wiggle room up in that thing. It fits perfectly. It, it connects. You look through it, you don't see no space. You don't have to force it. It perfectly, that's what Paul said. I told you Paul was cussing. Now you agree with me. Like how in the world he going to be talking about we need to be perfectly joined together? We all completely different people. Come from completely different worlds. We got all these different races and ethnicities and all this stuff that we got put in the planet and mixed it all up. And then we started off with the fact that as you see the world, wherever you see people, you see what? Evil. People don't get along. People don't connect. People can't relate. People can't be around with each other without somebody not liking somebody. Without somebody saying something that put you down. Without somebody saying something that hurt your feeling. Without them talking about you. Without you just seeing them be like, I don't like her. Why? Because I just don't. She just, Ugh. Like, we got that stuff. And it's just normal and common, and that's what we expect. And we take that, and we say we're just supposed to confess that stuff, and we pray to each other, and it's just going to be like that, girl. You just, just don't say nothing to her when you see her, huh? Because you're a Christian, and you're supposed to love people, so just don't say nothing. And that's the best we can hope for, that somebody can be cordial with you and not like you. But Paul told me we're supposed to be perfectly joined together. How we both do that? Go to Galatians. Like I said, I could run you through the whole New Testament. I'm just going to give you a couple. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Starting at verse 1. It said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. This, this is deep. It's a pretty heavy verse here. 
And it seems to be contradictory on the first read. Like, hold up now, Paul. What you, what you talking about? But he began. Brethren, if any man be taken in a fault, ye watch our spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So the picture that he's painting is, is you got somebody who you know they done messed up. They, they, they did something they weren't supposed to be doing. So you find one in a fault. Say, so you what your spiritual. So he's talking about the mature ones among you. Y'all restore one. So you take this person, you work with them, and you bring them back to where they're supposed to be, the spiritual ones. If you find one in a fault. Now, the heavy thing with this with me that is often overlooked is we see this word quite often in the scriptures, and, and it becomes just a byword, but we don't catch the fullness of it. Now, Paul opens these things up with brethren. My brothers. Now, what we have here is Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as he told us. And he's speaking here to the Galatians, who was a Gentile nation under Roman rule. But he's referring to the Galatians as his brothers. So you brothers. And the thing that makes this stick out to me is that we see pictures, even in the New Testament, especially early on, well, Paul had to get on Peter because it was a time where Peter was dealing with the Gentiles and they was out ministering with them and bringing them on and said they was out in Eden, fellowship. And the James and the other leaders of the Hebrews came and they said Peter withdrew from them and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles when the Hebrews was around. So Peter was fake breaking. So along with the more folk one now, he was with them and he was cool. But when the Hebrews came, he wouldn't eat with them because that was against Jewish custom. Jews only ate and, and communicated with Jews. You don't go to the Gentiles because that'll make you unclean. That's what cultural custom. Paul called them out for it. Nah, bro, we don't get down like that. You live like these people. You've been with these people. So now you want to fake. That's my summation of it. But the amazing thing is, is when Paul is speaking to these people, he take the word that is used for family, familial connection and applied to these Gentile people. So in his mind, he talking to his family. It ain't just no church word that we just attach to the front of our name so that we can sound cool in church. Like I'm Brother Zink and that's Brother Jay. Uh-huh, there you go. And we just, we just apply that and we don't ever really be together like no brothers or no sisters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's just it. We just got these names we put on the front of us. Titles. Nah, he's addressing these people. Brethren, family. When you find one of your brothers in a fault, you restore him. You which are spiritual, you restore him. So you go to him in his fault, in their displeasure. You try to get them back to where they're supposed to be. And I like the way he wrapped it, that he didn't specify restore them to what? Because the way that I read it now is that it's a complete restoration. It's not just a restoration to that now they back with God, they repented of their sins, and they can come back to church now. No, it's a full restoration where they're part of the family total. That there's no separation that we ain't showing them. Because sin brings separation. Because Paul told them folks in, in, in book of Corinthians, that when you got a brother out there openly fornicate, don't even eat with that type of person. 
But now he's saying when you find one in a fault, you restore him. So the idea of restoration is not just to get them to confess their sins and claim that they were Jesus, but it's to get them back in full fellowship of the family and the unity in the body. Because what happens when somebody slips off, especially when they're a part of a tight-knit group in a tight-knit family, is your mind automatically goes to, I can't be. And what you have is people who drift away from the household and who drift away and they pine away in their sin and they end up being taken in to complete, overcome by their sin because they don't feel like they can be with the body no more. And what we have to do is bring restoration to these people. And it's not just saying you messed up, but that's okay because God is loving. He loves everything. And, 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 and we ain't going to judge you. Yes, we are going to judge you. And we're going to tell you you did wrong. Because we love you. And the desire is to get you right and back with the family. But the picture I want you to see is there are some people who messed up. And the idea of us dealing with these people who messed up is restoration. So we don't gloss over their wrong. We don't say it's okay. Everything all right. That's a lie. It ain't okay. But we do say is love desires that you be with us and we're going to walk with you in this and we're going to hold your hand until you get yourself right. Cause that's what he's going back into. To restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, we thou also be tempted. So the idea is in this process of restoration, we don't stand above them saying, now you need to do right and you should be ashamed of yourself. Cause how in the world could you do that? All this stuff we told you and you're going to, no, that ain't where we stand. Because we recognize that anything great in me is the God in me. And that the only thing that separates me from being the one that needs to be restoration is the grace of God that I got. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So it's in a spirit of meekness. It's with humility. Knowing that I could be in the same spot. That I could possibly one day be needing restoration. That the same thing that has happened to them could and has at one point happened to me. So when I'm coming, I'm coming to a brother. I'm coming to somebody who's down and who's hurting. And I'm coming with them with that same mindset that I could be down. That I can be hurting. So it's with a spirit of meekness. At least you also be tempted. Because you come up here high. Take heed, he that think he stand, least you fall. You, you understand? So it's a picture. We got brethren, it's a family, and the restoration is back to God and back to the community. And we do it with a spirit of meekness. And, and look what he said. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the idea is that I have a brother, I got a sister that messed up, that they got some stuff going on in their life that they can't take it. And a part of this restoration is me carrying this for them. So I put myself in a unified position with these people and I hold up them in their weakness. That there should be nobody in this community, nobody who named the name of Christ that suffer alone. Because God didn't make us to be alone. God created us for a community and this community should more exist in this fallen world than in any other time because we need each other more now. That's why Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he said, better is he that is a group than the one that's solitary. Because if you work it with a group of people, if you follow, you got somebody to pick you up. So the picture is we need to be a family, a family that seeks restoration, a family that cares for one another, a family that understands that there ain't nothing great about me but the God in me. And we hold each other up, bearing one another's burden. 
said, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So this is the reason we bear one another's burden. Because if I can get it in my mind that there's something about me great that makes me something greater than somebody else, you say you're deceiving yourself. No matter what it is. If you see in yourself something that elevates you, something that puts you out, something that makes you above people, you're deceiving yourself. And this goes with all of reality. So when I see my brother that's light-skinned, I can boast over them because I'm in the melanin crew. And because I'm from Africa and we all come from princes and kings. <laughs> I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm royalty. Sister, you a king. Brother, you a queen. I mean, sister, you a queen. Brother, you a king. Children of the green dream. We royalty. Black man, stand up. If you see in yourself anything that makes you somebody, you deceive yourself. And that's why we humble ourselves and bear one another's burden. And it goes for all things, anything. You be like, man, bro, I've been, you know I'm saying, I've been doing good. I've been, I've been getting my word, been reading this thing. I'm saying, brother, I'm saying, brother, overcome temptation. Folk come, they trying to holler at me. I'm saying, I tell you, girl, no, I ain't with that. You need to get you some Jesus, girl. I ain't, I ain't with that. You know what I'm saying? That's what you need, some Jesus. Let me, let me, come here, let me tell you, John 3, 16. I'm saying, that's all I've been doing, bro. I'm, I'm on it. I'm serious. Then your brother say, man, I feel you, man. I don't, I don't, I'm tough right now. What you mean, bro, man? I'm, I'm saying, what, what you got going on? Man, little girl came over. I, I messed up, bro. No, oh, dog, how you do that, man? See, 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 need be like me. I'm saying, what you doing is you deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. If there's anything in you that makes you great, like I said, whether it's your quote-unquote race, or ethnicity, if we woke. <laughs> if that makes you great, if that makes you superior, if that makes you above somebody else, you're deceiving yourself. Whether it's your, your spiritual prowess, the fact that you can pray for a very long time, if that makes you great, that makes you superior, you're deceiving yourselves. I'm saying I read the Bible through by five, six times. If you think that makes you somebody, what you're doing is deceiving yourself because the only thing great about you is the God in you and anything you can boast about was giving to you. I'm saying whatever it is, everything we have, every good thing, every perfect thing comes from the God above. The Father of lights. That's where we get our goodness from. So when we look out into the world, we see brothers who need help. We see brothers who need restoration. And we humbly help these people, not thinking ourselves to be something. Then he goes on to the point that seems to be contradictory. So let, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in the other. The idea he's getting with is in the things that you do, in the grace that God has given you, the way that you live out your life, you test your stuff. You test your own work. And the picture is, is that there's a group of people who get props for pushing up on other people. So my work is good because it's better than Aaron's. That's what he pointed to. So I'm testing my work against Aaron's work. So since I'm doing a little bit more than what he's doing, my work is good, and I get my boasting off him. You know what I'm saying? He ain't getting it in like I'm getting it in. I'm saying that brother's slipping. So I'm great. I'm saying I know I'm doing something. At least I ain't doing what he doing. 
And when he said, no, 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 you, you, you try your own work. You don't put yourself up against somebody else's standard. You test your own stuff from yourself. And if what you're doing is good, is right, is good, then you get that rejoicing within, not off somebody else. That's what he mean by then you're going to have rejoicing in yourself, not rejoicing over somebody else. It's like, oh, she failed. I told her all she had to do was come to me. If she would have came to Bible study with me, then she wouldn't be in that mess. Anybody got time for all that and all that drama? I tried to tell her. See, that's, that's, that's you trying to get your props off somebody else. No, you test yourself. You check your own self. You test your own heart. You test your own standing and, and, and let that be it. It ain't got nothing to do with other folks got going on. When you look out into the world and other people, you look with humility and humbleness and you're seeking to restore. You're seeking to understand. You're seeking to bring forgiveness. You're seeking true restoration. And if we can get this mindset in our mind and, and we get this in our church, we will heal the world. But the sad thing is we ain't. Because people take too much pride in all it is that they got. And we're not willing to bear one another's burdens just because we love them. So when somebody is going through something, whether it's something directly to them or if it's something that happened to them, just even, even in our world, we got all these social things and everybody puts stuff on social media and there's certain people affected by certain things, certain way. And, and you have a class, a group of people who because it ain't got nothing to do with them, they look at them people and like, y'all need to get over it. Y'all need to understand. Like, no, no. Understand. When I hear you, I need to hear you. I need to carry that burden with you so that I can properly restore. You understand what I'm saying? So when we listen to people, we seek to understand them. We seek to connect with them. And we don't seek to elevate ourselves, our predicament, our situations above anybody. Philippians told us we need to prefer one another over the other. So Chelsea mean more to me than I mean to me. That's the way it's supposed to be. But the only way that we can get here is if we allow God to recreate us and we get this picture that we are one people, one race, one blood, one family living on this planet with one God and one mission. And that is to glorify him. And it also takes a level of honesty and openness from us. To where if I'm going through something, I need to be able to say, hey, Ebony. This is what I got and it hurts. But in order for me to do that, I have to trust her. That she going to carry me. And not stand over me and belittle me. And that's what we need to allow God to work within us. That we be people who trust, who care, who has a concern and a willingness to be one accord. That's the only way we're going to get it. And it's not a theoretical thing that we just say we want and we wear the same t-shirts and all that type of stuff. No, but it's going to take us being a family. It's going to take us being open. And it's going to take us being concerned about one another. Where you are, what you got going on, how can I help you, how can I carry you. And it's going to take a humility and a brokenness from us to what we say, I, I need to express this to somebody because God did not create me to be alone. That I don't wait till I get home and just carry this thing and just meditate with it upon my bed. No, God made me a part of a family. And if I got a brother, I need to tell that brother, this is what I'm struggling with. If I got a brother, I need to tell that brother, that, hey man, when this right here go on, I get mad. 
<laughs> I'm saying you, you you be open, but that's the only way we're gonna bring true wholeness and true heal, healing that we don't see each other as different. We see each other as the same, a part of one family, and we don't see ourselves as better, but we see others as better than ourselves, and we are servants of people, because that's what God Christ died for to restore the confusion that happened at Babel, at Babel. Because few confusion came when people were in rebellion against God. But unity comes once we're in Christ and that rebellion has been fixed. So that now we can do the things that God created us to do to bring peace and righteousness and joy here on the planet. It should be right here in this one little pocket that we call the church. That should be the place of righteousness. That should be the place of peace, the place of joy, the place of holiness, the place where mankind exists as mankind. Because guess what Christ died for? Anybody got any questions? Okay. This is what I get, the confusion. I know you are saying that uh, we're supposed to speak the same language, the same word and everything. Mm -hmm. And then you say God came down and confused the language because mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, he did not approve, you know, I guess whatever was going on. But my thing is this, since the sin was created by Eve and Adam, why God did not confuse the language back then? Why he waited into, you know what I'm saying, the... To the tower mm -hmm. in Genesis chapter 11. Why, yeah, why God did not confuse, because that's where the sin actually created my understanding. Uh -huh. So why he didn't confuse Adam and Eve's, you know, language? Because if he would have brought this type of judgment, then, then there would be no us. Because the confusion of the languages brought separation. And that's what... That's what forced them to go over the whole earth. So now just about everywhere you go on the planet, there's people because of what happened at Babel. So that confusion of the languages forced them to separate because they were trying to stay together in rebellion. So if he would have did it in the time of Adam and Eve, then the separation would have happened earlier. Because when you speak different languages, you cannot communicate. Y'all don't be with each other. So that's what forced them to separate. So this was a secondary punishment for their sin of refusing to separate. So this punishment was not just for sin in general, but for the specific sin of refusing to separate and spread over all the earth. So since they didn't want to spread, God said, I'm going to make you spread. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So that's why he brought the different languages so that they couldn't stay together. They had to go different places because he commanded them to go and fill up the whole earth. But they refused to go. They stayed together. We're going to stay together and we're going to build our own city. We're going to make ourselves a great name. And God said, no, y'all got to go. It, it, it makes a little sense. You understand? Yeah, so that's why he didn't do it with Adam and Eve. Um, what is Christ? Huh? What is Christ? Christ? Christ, the word means Messiah, anointed one. And Christ is Jesus the savior of the world. So he's the one that God set up to come and save the whole world. But the word just means anointed one. What does anointed mean? Anointed is when God separates a person for a specific task. Like if you uh, <clears throat> see something you can understand. Like you ever watch cartoons where they make somebody a king and you see them and they had a big ceremony and they put the crown on their head and then they become the king. They call it a coronation. That's similar to an anointing. So the anointing is when God transferred the power, the authority, and responsibility to you. Like you read in the Bible, when Saul became king, it said that he was anointed to be the king. So they poured oil on his head and had a whole ceremony. 
And at that point, from that time on, he was the king. So anointed means to be separated or <clears throat> called out for a special purpose and given a task. But what does transparent mean? Transparent means it's, you can see through. Ain't nothing hidden. Hey, my question going back to Genesis 11 again. Um, so why did God like want everybody to be scattered and all over the world then, but now he wants everybody to be one? What you mean? Like then he was upset because they were not leaving each other. They were not going out and spreading all over the world. But now he wants us to be a one mind and one heart and all that. Okay. But I was saying, I, I like, he seemed now. like he wanted people to be separated then, but now he wants us to be one. <clears throat> he didn't want people to be separated, but he wanted, what he wanted people to do was to fill the whole earth because the original mission given to Adam was to take that little bit of garden and make the whole earth look like this. That was the original mission. So you start right here with one little garden and you build that garden until the whole planet looks like this one garden. So that requires you to make it to the whole planet. And once he flooded the world, he recommissioned Noah for the same thing. You fill and replenish the earth. So Noah was to take his one self and his family and fill up the whole earth with the people of God. So this whole planet supposed to be filled up with the people of God. But they didn't want to obey that command because they didn't want to obey that command. So they refused to fill the earth. They just wanted to stay right there in this little valley in the land of Shinar and not go anywhere else. When their commission was to go over the whole world. So, but the separation is not disunity, if you understand what I'm saying. The feeling is not disunity. He ain't saying I want y'all to go and never be together. No, he want this one little family to be a whole family. It's just like when you, you got children. And your idea is for your children to one day leave your house, take everything you taught them, and to start another family. Does that mean you don't want them to ever talk to you again or never come back by your house? No. You still want to be a part of their lives and their families, but you don't want them to be right there with you all the whole time. You want them to get their own family, and that family become a family, and you want the multiplying of the principles and the things that you taught them to be spread about until you got this whole family. But it's still one family. Is it spread across a vast plaques of land? And that's the picture that he had. You had this one righteous man. His children are supposed to create righteous children who are supposed to raise up more righteous children and then you were going to have a whole righteous earth. So that was the picture. It, it makes a little bit... And so now the reunity ain't that we want everybody to come together and everybody to go to the same place. No, the reunion is we want everybody to be one spread out over the whole face of the earth so that all the goodness that God put in the earth can be seen and displayed over the whole earth. So you're supposed to have the kingdom of God, the, the goodness of God everywhere because the people of God are everywhere, but we're living and moving and operating as one. So no matter what you are, you can get in with some people of God and you can worship with them because y'all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I'm understanding everything what you're saying. But uh, since Noah is the one who was able to follow God's work and did all this. Now, my confusion is that it's not more of confusion. I know we say, it, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of, I mean, the God of Jack. How come we don't say the God of Noah? So tell me why. Ah, that's, pre that's, that's, that's a pretty good question. 
And the reason we don't say it, like I said, we're going to delve in this. It's my plan to teach through the whole Bible at some point. Very soon. Just figuring out where we're going to start at. But if you pay attention to Genesis, the first 11 chapters, it deals with mankind as a whole. It, it just talks about all the nations everywhere. But then once you make it to chapter 12, it zones in on this one family. And so the idea is that all of the nations going to find restoration from everything that happened in the first 11 chapters through this one family. Because God gave Eve a promise that her one, that her descendant going to crush the head of the serpent. And so the, the beginning of the looking for this serpent, this head crusher began way back then. But the picture is that you got this big expansive picture of everybody, God dealing with all these people. Then it zones into this one family and God specifically reveals himself in a special way to this one man and gives him a promise that through this one man and his family, all the nations are going to be blessed. So now we zone in and refer to him as the God of Abraham because God specifically connected himself and his plan of salvation to Abraham and his family. So while it's dealing with Noah, it's just the full expanse of all creation. You got all the nations came out through Noah. But this one man, Abraham, was singled out for this special plan of God that was going to be the redemption for all the children of Noah. Does that make sense? So that's why we refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because it's the God that gave this promise that specially revealed himself that he's going to bring salvation and blessing to the whole world. So to make him distinct from all the other children of Noah who claimed all they false gods, we're dealing with this one specific family. So we'll go from this big dealing with everybody to dealing with this one man for the benefit of everybody. That, that makes sense to you? Yeah. To be the special revelation of himself for the whole world. So that, that's why it, it, it stops. I go back to Abraham because that's the beginning of God dealing with the world in a whole new way. And that's why from that point on in your Bible... Everything deals with Abraham's children, but it follows a specific line. So when Abraham other have other children, they get tossed to the side and they just focus on this one child, Jacob. Then when Jacob has his multiple children, one of them get lost. And if, I mean, Isaac have his two children, one of them get lost and his focus on this one son, Jacob. Then Jacob have all these children and if the story follows them throughout the rest of the way. It leaves the whole rest of the world alone and it only talks about the rest of the world when they're dealing with this one family because this is the family that God going to use to save the whole world. What do Christ mean? Christ means Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. It means the Messiah. <laughs> Anybody else got any other questions? That's it. Yeah, all yours.